This series that I'm beginning today, Live Ready, is going to come from two chapters in the New Testament, Matthew chapter 24 and 25. We're just going to begin the series today. And it is called, or has been for a long time, the Olivet Discourse, the last of five discourses in Matthew's gospel. It's also called the, um, the Discourse of the Apocalypse. But it basically says three things. Number one, it's the longest answer, single answer that Jesus gives to any question in the New Testament. It is also largely, if not exclusively, prophecy. We'll see that in a minute. And it is controversial, which is why a lot of pastors, like myself or preachers, uh, tend to avoid it. But we are going to go back. I want to finish what we started in the book of Matthew, where we have been, those of you who've been with us here at the church for the better part of a year. I want us to finish the book of Matthew, but also I believe that this prophetic passage does have a lot to say to us practically today in the world that we live in. So if you have a copy of the Bible, uh, and I hope you get a copy today, and I encourage you to have one on your phone or in your lap, because this is there's a lot here to pay attention to. So I will read Matthew 24, verses 1 through 21 and verse 35. So follow along as I read Matthew chapter 24. Jesus left the temple and was walking away when his disciples came up to him to call his attention to the buildings, plural. The temple was a complex. Do you see all these things, he asked? Truly I tell you, not one stone will be left on another. Every one will be thrown down. It's talking about the destruction of the great temple. As Jesus was sitting on the Mount of Olives, the disciples came to him privately. They said, tell us, when will this happen? And what will be the sign of your coming in the end of the age? These short questions um, are the basis for this, this, the rest of this teaching. Jesus answered, Watch out that no one deceives you. For many will come in my name, claiming I am the Messiah, and will deceive many. You will hear of wars and rumors of wars, but see to it that you are not alarmed. Such things must happen, but the end is still to come. Nation will rise against nation, and kingdom against kingdom. There will be famines and earthquakes in various places. All these are the beginnings of birth pains." Then you will be handed over to be persecuted and put to death, and you will be hated by all nations because of me. At that time, many will turn away from the faith and will betray and hate each other, and many false prophets will appear and deceive many. Because of the increase of wickedness, the love of most will grow cold. But the one who stands firm to the end will be saved." And this gospel of the kingdom will be preached in, in the whole world as a testimony to all nations, and then the end will come. So, when you see standing in the holy place, that is the temple, the abomination that causes desolation, spoken of through the prophet Daniel, let the reader understand. Then let those who are in Judea flee to the mountains. Let no one on the housetop go down to take anything out of the house. Let no one in the field go back to get their cloak. How dreadful it will be in those days for pregnant women and nursing mothers. Pray that your flight will not take place in winter or on the Sabbath, for then there will be great distress, unequal from the beginning of the world until now, and never will be equaled again. Verse 35. Heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will never pass away. 
I lived for a year or so, I've told this story some, in the former Yugoslavia, small little province of Kosovo. And we were there with my, my group, my peers, my, my teammates, to do mission work to help in a post-war situation, mostly we were there helping uh, among, you know, um, sharing the gospel and and, and, and and talking with people, encouraging them. We were, our, our work was rebuilding and, re, and um, or, or re- rehabilitating homes that had been damaged. Some had been um, um, burned partially. And a lot of it was, let's say, reconstruction, uh, renovation. But there was one village we were in where this one guy he was approved by this organization that we were partners with, big home builder, and he turned them down. And his house was damaged, but it was still, the, the foundation was good, the, the, the bones were good. But he, he, he said no, and I got to know him. His name was Sahit, and I said, gee, you know, what, what gives? We want to help you. And he said, I, I'm so appreciative. He said, but um, he had multiple members of his family die in this house, right? more than one, young people. And he said, I could never live in this house again. I just can't do it. So we we grew a heart for him. We became friends and we pulled together our resources with some other agencies and we decided we were going to build him a house anyway. And I can still remember that day, uh, eventually, uh, a few weeks in advance, where I stood there and watched, maybe the only time in my life, where they literally tore this house down, these big um, machines, to the ground and carted away. It was nothing but an empty field. And I was there before I left several months in advance uh, forward. Um, I got to see him and his family walk in and occupy uh, this brand new house. Well, on a much grander scale, okay, this is kind of what Jesus is saying to his disciples here, right? They, they were not surprised, right, when Jesus says, listen, not one stone will be left on another, which is a pretty amazing thing to say about the temple. This is Herod's temple. There are a few in the Bible. The one built by Herod the Great. It took, we know history tells us, 84 years. That was how long the construction project was. 84 years to finish. It was magnificent. It was one of the architectural wonders of the ancient world. But the disciples take Jesus' basic condemnation of it, his, 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 that this thing's going to be torn down. They take it in stride. He says, not one stone will be left on another. It's a prophecy. All they want to know is when. And the reason why is because they knew, or they should have known, that the Old Testament prophesied that before the Messiah would return, before he would inaugurate his new kingdom, the temple would be destroyed. Daniel chapter 9, verses 25 through 28. But it's in the larger section of the book of Daniel, the last half of his prophecy. So they knew that. They were not surprised at what Jesus was saying. But, in fact, everything that Jesus says in this passage, quickly, he calls him birth pains, right? There will be, these are just the beginning of birth pains. And they're general signs, like wars and 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 pestilences and 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 betrayal and and plagues is all these things are going to happen he says all of those things actually including the destruction of the temple were all prophesied in Daniel's prophecy that's um what they would have known and that's why they just want to know when really but the only thing that Jesus calls out specifically verse 15 This is where some of the uh, intrigue in this passage happens. There's only one very, very concrete prophecy. It says, when you see standing in the holy place, that's the temple. If you want to know when things are going to, what's the trigger? 
the abomination that causes desolation, spoken of through the prophet Daniel. So he's saying, this is where you find this information. It's Daniel 7 through 12. But he says, let the reader understand. Now, what's he talking about? It's this very specific prophecy. It's mentioned in Daniel chapter 9. It's also mentioned in the book of Revelation, right? In Daniel 9, it's this, this world leader that arises up called the little horn, Daniel chapter 7, verse 8. In the book of Revelation, specifically chapter 13, it's called the beast and or the Antichrist. That is what happens. And Jesus is making a specific um, point. Now, so far, everything I just told you in the last few minutes, the vast majority of scholars in the, in the, um, throughout biblical history agree about what's going on in Matthew 24. Now, let me introduce the controversy very quickly. The controversy is not whether or not this is prophecy from Daniel mirrored in Revelation. The question is, is these birth pains, these signs, these, these amazing phenomenon, you know, the sort of the, the beginning of the end of the world kind of scenario, is this prophesied for what's supposed to take place in Jesus' day, his contemporaries? Point one, option one, is it supposed to be speaking of what happens in the church age, that is, in the days since Jesus lived and died and rose and all the way up to our day? Is this for us? Should we be looking for these signs? Or the third option is, is it speaking only of things that would happen near the very end of the age called the Great Tribulation in the New Testament here called the Great Distress, just those few years before Jesus comes to judge the world and to start a new one. Those are the three options. That's the point of controversy. Now, what I'm saying to you, suggesting to you is, my point of view, my belief is, I would say for option three, that the vast majority, essentially what Jesus is talking about, is talking about the events of what's called the Great Tribulation, which is in the future, near the days when the second coming happens, okay? And if you look at Revelation 6 through 12, or excuse me, 6 through 19, it would be hard pressed to read those verses in any way and say, that's what's happening today in any way. It's very specific. It's very, it's very um, um, massive in scope. Now, that said, what I want to say to you in the time I have left is this. Whether you agree with me, whether you disagree with me, whether you don't know, Everything I'm going to say in the minutes I have left today and I'm going to say in the rest of this series um, will still be very valuable to you because the essentially what this what we can learn from this passage is in the midst of a world that is in turmoil, right? I think ours is in turmoil. How then shall we live? How do we live ready? Three things as way of introduction in this series I want to say to you. The first one is this that I think we can learn from this passage. The things of this world are coming to an end. That's what Jesus is saying. The things of this world are coming to an end. You might say, Rob, you just got done saying that you didn't think, that I don't think, that we're living in the Great Tribulation. The, the details of this prophecy do not apply to me and to you today in 2020. And I would say to you, that's true. I do not think that they do. However, I think this much is true because I believe the word of God. I think Jesus is speaking on God's words that these things are coming, right? I know, I believe that these things are coming, number one. And number two, it would not be outside of, 
um, my sense of pos- God, the scope of possibility, that what is happening in our world today, even the coronavirus, which is is not this, but is certainly an unprecedented kind of scenario. I have heard people say who are uh, you know much older than I. I've never seen anything like this in my life. It covers the entire globe. That it could very well be God is using this to get us ready for what is to come. Okay, so th- so that's what I do believe. So there's there's a couple things I want to say. I heard I heard I heard a pastor say this. It was a story one time. It's called the. Um, it's an illustration. It was called the 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 lumberjack. It's about a lumberjack, and he said this. He said there was a lumberjack one time, and he was he went out to this grove of of of, of trees in a forest, and he, he took his axe out and he got ready to knock this tree down. And just as he's getting ready to knock this tree down, he um, he saw that there was this mother bird. And it was just beginning to um, to build a nest, and he said, "Well, gee, he he knew if he knocked that tree down, got ready to do it, he, he you know her and her her young would be you know would would not survive." So he took the butt of his axe and he started hammering the side of this tree, and it shook. And of course, the bird got out and went to another tree. And so he did this to another tree, and 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 then she did the same thing and into another tree. And about the third tree, you can imagine the bird going, "What's with this lumberjack?" You know, why don't you just give me a break? Well, finally, after three trees, this bird um, goes uh, up into a rock on the side of a mountain hill and begins to build its nest. And, and the lumberjack goes back and starts cutting the trees down. And the preacher said, here's the point. Everything in this world, every tree in this world is coming down, right? And anything that you trust more than God, you will lose. That's what I think this passage is saying to me and saying to you. It doesn't matter what it is. Your career, even if you're young and you're just starting your career, your career is coming down someday. Your your accumulated wealth is coming down someday. Listen, even your family, right? There are people in the coronavirus, you've heard them, just use our example, Hopefully not anybody listening to me, but there are people, I've read, I read stories every day, once a week, of people who have lost multiple members of their family, right? Not all old, in their family within two, three, four weeks time. Every tree in this world is coming down. The things of this world are coming to an end. So what we learn from this is don't build your life upon them. Second thing we learn in this passage comes from the 35th verse. Heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will never pass away. We need to hold on to the words of Jesus. Now, this passage, I read it because it's, we didn't read all the verses, but it's a summary of part one of of this great um, discourse. Heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will not pass away. Well, Jesus is saying two things in this passage in this very quotable, um, simple verse. Number one is, it's a summary of what he just got done saying, right? In all of these birth pains and all of these cataclysmic signs and all of this destruction, right? Wars and rumors of wars and pestilences and judgments and the tearing down of the temple and, and all of the disease and kingdom against kingdom. He's saying, listen, heaven and earth literally are gonna pass away. The New Testament bears this out. Peter says the elements, right? The elements will melt with fervent heat, right? 
He's not just saying the trees are coming down. The whole earth is going to be destroyed. There will be a new heaven and a new earth, the book of Revelation says. So in one sense, Jesus is just summarizing and saying, I want you to know I'm coming to bring a whole new world. I'm not, I'm not, gonna, I'm not cleaning up the old world. I'm bringing a new one. But he's also saying something else practical to you and me. Heaven and earth shall pass away, but my word shall not pass away. He's also saying this, friends, you know, whether you live in Jesus' day or our day, you need to hold on to the words of Jesus, right? You need to, um, the words of Jesus Christ, right, the, or the words of God, they are the true, they're the only thing that are, that's truly stable in your life. They're the source of strength in your life. They are the they are the true, the truth in your life and in my life. And it is the Bible itself, right? That is how God actually gets into our lives and does his greatest work in our lives. It's the word of God. You know, the word is a lamp unto our feet. The psalmist says, a light unto our path, or it should be. The words of God are more precious than gold, more than fine gold. Um, they are sweeter than the honey of the honeycomb. These are metaphors, but this is what the Bible is or should be to you. By them, your servant is warned, that's you, then me, and in keeping them, there is great reward. Is that, your, is that how the Bible is true in your life today? Is that how you experience God's word today? I would say this to you as a pastor, you know, as a Christian. It, 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 it's, it continues to surprise me and amaze me how many people I know, you know, and, and most of the people I know are, are church people, but how many people I know, um, even people in the ministry, okay, like me, people in vocational ministry who do not have a serious relationship with the word of God. It's casual, right? It's, it's a little here and it's a little there. But really, when it, they're not building their lives on it. And, um, and what I want to say to you is this, the things of this world are coming down. And Jesus is saying, listen, heaven and earth is going to pass away. And, the thing, and heaven and earth, in a manner of speaking, the trees of this world are already coming down. And what you and I can learn, what we can take from this passage is we need to hold on to the words of Jesus. I was in a elder meeting. We, we do this every week now, our elder board. We meet just to pray on a Zoom call. And one of the elders texts me as we were talking about church. How do we do church and how's it going? And you know, every week we're, we're talking and praying for you and for this church. And he said, just in a quick text, he said, listen, I think we need to focus all on people and not on programs. And he said, of course I agreed. And he said, um, what if we try to find a way to encourage every single Browncrofter to just find one other person that they can connect with and covenant with to read the Bible, to talk about the Bible, and to pray for each other, right? He said, what if that's our ministry for right now? So I want to give, I want to give you a challenge. How do you hold on to the words of Jesus? Everyone listening to me this morning can do this, right? Whether you're a longtime Browncrofter or you're just, you've never even been to our physical campus, you can... Find another person in your home, in your small group if you have one, in your network of friends here at church or not at church if you have some, and I'm sure you do, and even a neighbor, and simply commit to them to read the Bible together, chapter or two a day, and talk about it virtually and pray about what you're learning. 
right? And if you don't have a Bible reading plan, which some of you don't, let me tell you one of the best ways you can use your time. A lot of the, you know, um, dead time or, um, you know, wasted time or new time that you have, that I have in the coronavirus, spend it intentionally in the Word of God. And if you don't have a Bible reading plan, okay, some of us, we waste time because we don't have a plan, go to the front of our website, browncroft.org. On the top navigation, it'll say media. Go to media. Go all the way down to resources. And as soon as you hit that resource button, there will be several resources. One of them will say 365 Bible reading. You just There's a plan, and you can print it out, use it digitally um, off your computer or your phone, and start reading one or two or three chapters every day with me and with many others here. I will say this to you. If you do that, if I do that, I can almost guarantee you that one, two, three, four, five months from now, whenever this coronavirus is over, I think you will look back and say, despite the, um, all of the things you may have lost, right, the trees that have come down in your life, that this was one of the most spiritually enriching times in your life because you got serious about holding on to the words of Jesus. Okay. Everything in this world, okay, the things of this world are coming to an end. Don't build your life on them. Number two, hold on to the words of Jesus. And the last thing I think this passage tells us is this. We are not saved from our trials. We are saved through our trials. You know, many people have said to me, you know, do we have a, um, you know, gee, Rob, I, I feel like we, we, as Christians, I heard a lot of leaders say this to me, friends, and, and, and some of you, some in the ministry, we, 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 we need a better theology of suffering, right? Sounds like strange words. What is a theology of suffering? And what they mean by this is this, that somehow in the course of time, there's, there is, that what is foundational to living as a Christian, what is foundational to growing as a Christian, what is, how, do, how this is experienced, has been replaced by some other idea that doesn't have any power and doesn't change your life. The teaching of the Bible has always been, right, that we are not saved from our sufferings, we're saved through them, right? It's through our sufferings and deepening our experience with God, deeping, giving us greater roots in God and in his word, that we actually grow. Just think for a minute about the story of Abraham about the story of Jacob, about the story of Joseph, right? Think about the story of Joseph or Peter or James or John, right? When you think about what it means to grow and mature as a Christian. I was listening just this uh, week to a, a modern kind of uh, great hero of the faith. Her name is Johnny Erickson Tata. I don't know if you, if you know Johnny Erickson Tata. Many of you probably don't, um, or some of you do, but be, because... Um, her story is is was years and years ago. She's still alive, but she's she's now the run this ministry called Johnny and Friends. It ministers to d disabled people all over the world. But when she was a teenager, in the late 1960s, she was in a tragic accident, so tragic, paraplegic, for two years. She was in, in just trying to survive in, in in medical rehabilitation, and she said many times in this podcast, "I just wanted to end my life." and I was unsuccessful. 
but she was a Christian as a young teenager. She did have Christ in her life. And she said, she came to this place after two years. And she said, I finally turned a corner and I prayed a prayer. And she said, this prayer, in a manner of speaking, set the course for the rest of my life. And the simple prayer was this. God, if I'm not going to die, show me how to live, right? And she said, almost as soon as I finished that prayer, my depression began to lift. My, my hope began to brighten. My, my, my despair began to dissipate, right? This is what I think Jesus is saying here to you and me, especially in this time. We are not saved through from, excuse me, our suffering, from our trials. We are saved through them. Just this past uh, week, just, uh, I think it might have been Easter Sunday, there was an article in the paper. I just want to read a little bit to you and I'll be done. It was from an article in the um, the paper from a guy named Ross Duthought, who's a, who's a columnist. And the title of the article was um, um, The Pandemic and the Will of God. Just listen to these words. I think these are great and helpful for us. What does it mean that God has permitted or willed temporary conditions in which our elite lifestyle of international travel is grounded, our consumption is cut to a minimum, our days are occupied with basic responsibilities towards our families and immediate communities, our resources and our economic hopes are reduced, and we are made more dependent on one another? Question mark. We might think none of this tells us anything about ourselves or about God's compassion and justice. But if we seek to pass through all this in hasty expectation of a return to normal, perhaps we are missing the fundamental point of the exercise. Asking these questions does not imply crude or simple answers or answers that any human being can hold with certainty. But we should still seek after them because if there is any message Christians can carry from Good Friday to Easter, to a world darkened by plague. It's that meaningless suffering is the goal of the devil and bringing meaning out of suffering is the saving work of God. What a great challenge and a word to us. So I want to say, friends, as we, as we close this sermon, begin this series, live ready, right? Number one, Jesus says to us, this world is coming to an end, right? The things of this world are coming. To, every tree is coming down. Do not build your life on it, right? What you can build your life on, what I encourage you to build your life on, is the words of Jesus. Heaven and earth shall pass away, and it's passing away, in a manner of speaking, even before our eyes. But the words of God, they last forever. And right now, they can become more real to you and more real to me. And finally, as they do, we don't have to run from our suffering. We can, um, we can grow through our suffering and become more Christ-like, more, more real in our faith. And maybe in our neighborhoods, in our, in our, in our social distancing, even in, our, in the ways in which we are living life today and listening we can help encourage people, point people to what really brings meaning in life, which is a relationship with the living God. Amen? Let me pray for us as we close 
this time this morning. God and Father, I just thank you for the opportunity to be here this morning with my my brothers and sisters in, in faith, that is, my church family, and also with many others here um, who are listening uh, through this um, uh, you know, through this uh, streaming uh, in, in homes and in neighborhoods across our town. And I just pray for us, Lord. We look to you. We long to know what it truly means to have you at the center of our lives. Help us all to be reminded uh, from your teaching today, from the word of God today, from, this, from your sermon uh, that we read here this morning, uh, Jesus, that the things of this world are passing away. And help us, Lord, to find strength and hope in you that we might be um, uh, people who, who grow in maturity and in faith and uh, become more like Jesus. We, as it says of Jesus, he learned obedience. Though he was a son, he learned obedience through the things that he suffered and, um, and became, you know, a, a perfect savior, a mature savior that could help not only die for our sins, but help model for us what it means to live, Lord. Help us to know um, how to live, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.